Welcome to the Painting of the Week podcast, where we look at some of the most significant paintings throughout history. Introducing your hosts, Phil Grabsky and Laura Bentham. Welcome to this week's Painting of the Week. And today we're talking about a wonderful painting by uh, Giotto, or Giotto di Bondone. And it is called The Kiss of Judas. Uh, this particular painting you can see, as ever, on the 7th-art.com website. Just go there and uh, go to the podcast and uh, podcasts and, and uh, click on the picture. It is fabulous. Um, and uh, wouldn't you say, Laura? Yeah. Well, what do you think of it, Laura? I haven't actually asked you. Well, <laughs> as always... <laughs> You get, I get my notes and I get my titles and I look at the painting and I think, well, no, I don't know this one at all. And then I find out that it's actually a whole chapel. Mm. And then I've seen the, now looked at the chapel. And of course, then I find out that you've actually filmed it. Mm. And I mean, oh, it's absolutely spectacular. I'd love to go in there. It's, um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit more about mm. it. Uh, so, Bondone is uh, a 13th century painter, and uh, sorry, Giotto is a 13th century painter, and this is a very significant sequence of, of frescoes um, because you're starting to get a sense of personality, drama, narrative in mm. paintings. I mean, for some, these are the first great painting masterpieces, if you like. Um it's in a chapel in Padua, or as the Italians call it, Padova, which uh, is um, not that far from Venice. In fact, once we, had, I remember we'd filmed this chapel and then the next day, very, very early, we got a boat. It was still dark to Venice and right. that was really special. I'll never forget that kind of oh, yeah. pootering along, along these canals and then out. And then to Venice, just as, you know, the sun was coming oh, up. Oh, yeah, no, that would have been um, amazing. Now, the chapel, it's like, you have to imagine it's like walking inside a, it's almost like walking inside a film, in a way. Mm -hmm. The walls are entirely covered with his paintings. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, let's see if I get this right, the top, well, basically, if you imagine panels, and they're all about... Um, in feet, they're about six feet by six feet. So whatever that is in meters, that's so about 180 by 180 meters. And the whole chapel from floor to ceiling are these draw pit, pit paintings telling you a chronological narrative, life of Mary, life of Jesus, the yeah. passion. So Easter, essentially. Um, I've actually got it written down. Oh, OK. What have you got? Uh, birth of Mary, which... Isn't that quite unusual? Is there many things of the birth of Mary? Very unusual, yeah. Mm. Um, the, their marriage to Joseph, birth okay. of Jesus, uh, the childhood, passion of Christ, kiss of Judas, right. which is us, death on the cross, pain on earth, and eternal life. And I'm assuming, did you feel them all? Did you feel in the whole chapel? Well, um, Yes and no. I've actually been in this, I've actually filmed this chapel twice just because camera technology improved. Oh, okay. Um, but of course, the top line is quite high. So 
In a way, we did film the whole chapel, but we also got uh, high-resolution images where somebody had built a scaffold and taken a photograph kind of straight on at right. a, a, a vertical level, horizontal level. So would you would you use a drone now then? It's interesting that um, you, you, I mean, most institutions wouldn't let you use a drone inside. Oh, okay. I have seen one or two gallery shots that have clearly been done by a drone just because they're high up. Um, but it wouldn't be steady enough. Well, actually, I say that. Drones are remarkably steady. Mm. No, I mean, in the old right. days, <laughs> in the old days, you'd use something called a jimmy jib or a jib arm where your camera's on the end of a long, a long arm and you counterweight it and basically you just put it to the height of the painting. We have used those. Right. But, you know, they're expensive. And, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, imagine when Michelangelo was painting the Sistine Chapel, he had his scaffold and he'd lie on his back painting. Well, yeah. You know, if you the photographer when he or she did this, they were just to build a scaffold and work their way along. You just start employing really tall people. Oh, you actually <laughs> particularly tall. Yeah. Um, now, of course, for for um, my film Easter in Art, which is I, I, it's such a powerful film, whether you're Christian or not, I can't wait. Actually, um, I didn't think I'd ever say that either, Phil. I'm no, really looking forward to it. It's it's um, it's tremendously moving. But these, mm. these paintings became quite useful because the premise of the film, just to remind you, is that I went to the four Gospels with a colleague. Because I actually don't know. And I've, I mean, in the course of making that film, I talked to people and nobody knows the story of Easter. Mm-hmm. People know details, but don't know the actual... Anyway, so I went through the four Gospels and over the course of the 80 minutes, we've, we've, we have the key moments that tell you what happens in those last few days of this individual, Jesus's life. Now, of course, the big moment and the, the factor that determines whether you, almost certainly whether you are a Christian or not, is whether you believe in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. There's very little doubt that there was this preacher and in short, he was crucified. Yeah. Which is a particularly brutal way to die. Mm-hmm. And as I say in the in the kind of the poster for the film, you know, it's the greatest story ever written and it's the greatest story ever painted. It's the most painted historical moment of any. Mm-hmm. And all great artists have dealt with it. And for various reasons, either because that's what's being commissioned or because if you're stuck perhaps doing portraits or, you know, to be asked to do a crucifixion or a deposition when the body's taken down from the cross or... You know, these are fantastically complicated and in some ways attractive things to paint. Yeah. And you have the opportunity of painting a human body almost naked, which, you know, in other, other situations you don't. But also that relationship between mother and child, between friends. And, and in this scene, of course, you've got all sorts of things going on, not least betrayal. Yeah. But the main point, of course, for Giotto is that the audience is illiterate. So how are you going to communicate the story of the Bible if people can't read? Now, if the Mass is in Latin, which people, you know, it's it's a good three, four hundred years before the Bible is is in the vernacular language, so Italian in in this case. So the audience is sitting there, wow, we don't know what's going on. (laughs) So that's why you have, basically you have pictures on the wall to help you understand what the story is. This is a 
I'm so pleased you've explained that, Phil. Well, <laughs> that's really helped me understand. Well, and another thing, of course, why there's only so many paintings of that story, and yeah. also now, yeah. Well, and of makes... course, what you have in in uh, Padua, mm. as you have in the Sistine Chapel, is you have a visual representation of hell. Well, I mean, if you are living in a world where you you take you you absolutely don't question the existence of God. Mm. But also you are um, unquestioning about the existence of hell. Mm. And when you see hell depicted in yeah. all its apparent brutality, mm. well, if that's not an incentive to behave well, <laughs> when the idea of being spiked and cut into core, I mean, mm. I mean, the human imagination for depicting brutality, you know, is really quite shocking. We but haven't you got on some of those paintings yet, Phil. So, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe we should look at one of those. But I mean, so um, so that is is just as in the Sistine Chapel. That is, um, um, you know, the Last Judgment is uh, is on the, the walls of, of Padua. We'll talk more about the chapel and, and Scraveni and the person that commissioned it in a second. But let's have a look at this picture. So, um, of course. I guess most people would know the story. Jesus has 12 key disciples. He's already said in the in the what's known as the Last Supper, which, which was a Passover meal, um, he said that one of you will betray me. Mm. And they've all gone, oh, God, no way, none of us will. Yeah. But he already knows it's going to be Judas. Um, oh, he did already know that. Okay. Yeah, he I knew. Didn't, I thought he didn't know at all. No, he knew. I thought he just predicted that he knew he was going to be betrayed, but he didn't know when or where. So he knew then he was Judas. Yeah. Okay. And um, Judas has accepted his his um, his silver, you know, his money. Yeah. And basically the story is that Judas at night is leading the... Um, Soldiers that have come to arrest Jesus, um, but they don't necessarily know what he looks like. So Judas says, "Well, I will kiss the man that is Jesus," and this that this is that kiss of betrayal. So don't misunderstand it. There's nothing affectionate about this. No, this is a way of pointing out um, this is Jesus, and Jesus kind of. You know, he knows what's he, he he's known for a long time what what yeah. um his destiny is. And of course all those great paintings of the Madonna and Child are are always poignant because you have a mother who is doting on her new baby but also knows what his destiny is because mm. she's been told. Um Well even in that in the painting itself, I mean I don't know how many paintings of the kiss of Judas there are, but the inevitability to actually manage to get that expression mm. on Jesus' face, I feel like it's there. It's just like, oh, okay, this is this is it now. And bear in mind, this is a fresco. Yeah. So a fresco is where you're painting onto drying plaster. So you've got to move fast. Yeah. And actually, one of the things that is quite extraordinary about this is just, I mean, and there's so many panels, but the detail, and he had a workshop. He had about thirty or forty of his workshop with him, apparently. Um, oh, okay. But still, he's the one responsible, certainly, I'm sure, for facial expressions. Yeah. And 
you know, that it, 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 it's, you know, again, what we're always trying to do with exhibition on screen is, you know, look that bit, bit closer. Um, so if you have a look and you, you see the detail on the, um, on Jesus' face and his hair and his beard and... He has captured it, though. It's incredible. And actually, the expression on Jesus' face, which yeah. is sort of a determination, but also, I wonder, yeah. Well, he did regret it, didn't he? Because didn't he hand the money back? Yeah, but it was too, it was too late. Oh, yeah. But, he's, you know, also the way that Judas has been portrayed, he's not as, basically, he's not as attractive mm-hmm. as Jesus. No. And that's deliberate. Yeah. And the other thing which is really interesting, um, we've talked before about the use of colour mm. and how Mary, um, it wasn't initially the case, but basically was always painted in blue because lapis lazuli, which is a, a mineral that comes from um, uh, Afghanistan, from one mine, was so valuable, so expensive because it had this singular source and created this beautiful blue that they used it to depict Mary. Yeah. Just as, and again, we've talked about this before, just as you had that purple stripe for Roman senators yes. because that was made from sea snails until Jesus, uh, until uh, Julius Caesar showing off had a cloak made entirely of purple. And then from that moment on, the Caesars, the emperors had cloaks of purple and then the popes. So, but this, of course, what is very noticeable here is the yellow of his cloak. And this is very poignant because yellow was being used, had already been determined as a, as a colour of deceit oh, okay. and treachery. Right. Now, again, this is to make it easy for people to, to, to identify Judas. So if you see Judas in pictures, not always, but fairly often, he is the man in yellow. So if you're looking at a Last Supper, um, then probably Judas is there sitting in yellow. So you, it's oh, the same Jesus. It's a we didn't know that, isn't it? <laughs> so, we know, so we know, so we see that. And he's enveloped, you know, this cloak of treachery and deceit. Yeah. He's in, enveloped Jesus in it and, and Jesus is kind of standing up to him. He's taller than him. He's looking down on him. Mm. Um, now, why this, why this is poignant is because um, I think it's in the 12th century that there was a Pope. Now, what was his name? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, sorry, Phil. Pope Innocent the Third. Oh, I think I did know that. <laughs> I think I have got that written down. <laughs> well, in the I forget my notes. In the 12th or 13th century, maybe the 12th century. So before this, and maybe why this is, maybe this is when yellow starts to be used. He has designated that Jews and Muslims have yes. to be have to wear yellow badges. Yes. To, to distinguish themselves, it's it's a terrible human. I mean, it's such a. Oh, it just makes me so Is sad that, and angry that you know people have picked on other uh, yeah. religions and races. And <laughs> but who famously in the twentieth century mm. resurrected this idea mm. of the yellow badge? Well, the Nazis. Mm. Yeah, and, I was just about to say that. Yeah, and um, okay, it's amazing. The, it's amazing the use of you know the the power of color. But anyway, looking at the picture. There are some other narrative scenes, narrative points, which you will find in the gospel. I think the most obvious one, if you look picture left to Jesus, you will see a man who's looking on uh, and the man behind him has just sliced off his ear. See that? Oh, 
So that ear... Oh, yeah. Which is tumbling to the ground. Okay, no, I hadn't seen that. So that's just been sliced off again. It's in the gospel. Oh, Lord. Okay. And, um... There's a bit much going on there, isn't there? <laughs> I saw the dagger. Yeah, oh. You see the ear falling. Well, mm. Jesus, Jesus actually, in the gospels, the next thing that happens is he turns to say, no, I, I'm not having that. No. And actually, he, he repairs the ear. The ear is, is miraculously... Returned to the uh, the guy's yeah. head and without any damage. Oh, um, right. But again, it's so colourful, and and you look at these cloaks. So that you know the red and and pink cloaks. Well, obviously, this is you know the sense of blood and danger and humanity. Um, when you were there, Phil, are those colours as vibrant? Actually, I don't remember them as being as vibrant as that. No. Okay, they're a slightly, yeah. slightly. Uh, I remember them being slightly paler. Uh huh. Now, it could be a number of reasons. One, just because the light in the chapel on that day. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Two, they might have been restored. And mm. three, they might have just tweaked it in the in the yeah, image that we're yeah. looking at. Because mm. it does look um, absolutely. I mean. For such a, a sort of a story and a statement, it, there is a very vibrant scene, and you can understand why it is so popular. Or oh, God, um, the, the whole the whole scene and the, the paintings got more and more popular, didn't he? he? Got he got really really good. He painted um, sort of only frescoes, didn't he, mm. during his life? So yeah, it's um, he's got a great sense of storytelling mm. <clears throat> I mean it's almost slightly strange if you look to the left one of only what one two three characters that have halos is virtually you, you just about see his eye yeah and you'd think if you didn't know that he this was the shape of his of his paintings and mm. you know they're all the same size in the chapel you'd think that they'd been it'd been cut but no he's done it that way and it's basically saying the action is continuing either side. It keeps the whole scene very vib very vibrant and active. Um, I kind of like that. Um, as ever with the with the pikes and the flames and and the the horn, you know, you got the sound. You know, you got a sense of sound and music and flames hissing and. It's Pikes funny, really. That, and, oh, they were going to just arrest him, weren't they? Yeah. I was going to say they weren't going to actually kill him there. No, he's then. arrested, and he actually goes off yeah. through a number of different um, stages. Mm. Again, Eastern art's very good for understanding. There are basically four stages that happen very quickly. He's arrested at night and crucified the next day, but there's a lot of people he, he sees. Um, First, yeah, who basically say, I can't deal with this. Next oh. guy has to deal. The next guy mm -hmm. says, I can't deal. And the mm -hmm. next guy says, No, you. Um, and, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's inevitable. On the other hand, he seems to have these moments where there's a chance that somebody will say, Let him be free. You know, we'll crucify Barabbas and let Jesus go. Yeah. In a sense, the, the story, the Gospels are just, it's just heightening the drama and the, and the, the sadness in the way of, of, of this humans, on the one hand, I mean, the, the thing about Jesus is the way he's portrayed as a, as a, both a human and a God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you want to empathise with the pain that he's going through, even though he has to die on the cross. Yeah. 
you know, that Christianity can't really exist if he is, you know, somebody says at the bottom of the cross, somebody says, well, if you're the, if you're the son of God, then why doesn't he just yes, let, let, get, let, let you, you go down? Yeah. But Jesus knows that they can't happen. I mean, according to, to the Bible. Well, I've never really looked at many religious paintings, as you know, because I'm on this big journey now through them with you. <laughs> so are there, me- do you think now have that many paintings of the kids of Judas? Somebody said to me that in the National Gallery in London, did they say a third of the paintings were religious? Oh, really? Anyway, I can't quite remember, but a very high percentage of paintings are, are religious because that was what was yeah. commissioned. Yeah. Um, before, you know, before the kind of rise of mercantile Europe and the rise of empires like the Dutch and the Portuguese and the British and the French... Austro-Hungarian, where you had very wealthy people all of a sudden with houses and who wanted to commission art and artists. So if you're a, if you're a, a painter, and we've talked about this with Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo, yes, there might be some wealthy individuals that would commission a portrait, but basically, it's 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 the, it's, the, it's either the state in terms of nobility, kings, queens, so Velázquez, people like that, have, you know, working for the king and queen, yeah, or it's the church. Yeah. And certainly Leonardo, Michelangelo, Raphael, part of their work as artists was to, maybe ingratiate's the wrong word, but to become commissioned by the popes. And we, we looked in the Raphael film, didn't we, about how Raphael, he might seem like a very sweet, amiable chap, but behind the scenes, anyone trying to get his papal <laughs> commissions was given a punch in the nose. Um and nothing's really changed. I mean, to be <laughs> honest, until relatively recently, like, you know, maybe 15 years ago, a filmmaker like me had four channels in the United Kingdom we could go to. Yeah. So it was very competitive. And they didn't really want films on certain subjects and they wanted films on other subjects. And that kind of didn't work for me. And at times it did work for me. And But you were obviously affected by... So the, the trick for an artist in some ways was, one, to get the commission. Yeah. And then to use it to explore just how great an artist you could be, how you could improve as an artist. But actually, these are very—it's it's a very exciting story. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Bible is is full of incidents, full of drama, full of pathos, full of you know emotion. So, I mean, what I find staggering about—and people really need to look at the whole chapel. I mean, there's talking so many paintings i really want to go there's another place now oh it's, i've got it, so many on my list it's unbelievable really it's, really unbelievable it, it's I'm just like i'm going to have the list as long as my arm at this rate how is sorry but um giotto 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 i've said it so many times a day and i can't remember it now but wasn't he like one of the first then to take is he early renaissance because didn't he then his style he was so popular that he constantly got commissions because he started to sort of put a fresh take on painting, mm. um, adding perspective and things like that for the first time. Is that right? So there is perspective here. So yeah. So what is he coming from? I don't know. Oh, I thought he was quite a, quite a nice childhood. No, I don't mean that. I oh, mean, sorry. In, in art historical terms. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, not so far from Padua. If you go across Italy to a place called Ravenna. They have the most amazing mosaics there, oh, which 
basically you would kind of think of as Byzantine. Yes. Which was before him. Before him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth century. Mm-hmm. So what you have with the Roman Empire is you have, I mean, Rome is the most extraordinary empire. And basically, well, obviously it's already, it, it starts in the first century BC. Obviously, you know, it's the Romans that ultimately crucified Jesus Christ. So first century BC, the Romans are at their peak, continue until the third, fourth centuries, and then it starts to fall apart. And one of the things that happens is is they split the capital and then they actually have four capitals at one point. So they have wow. four different... Yeah. Um, but in the fifth and sixth centuries, you have this wonderful kind of mosaic work and Ravenna has the most beautiful mosaics, but they're very flat. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine now, if you think of art that you might see in, in Istanbul, Constantinople had, you know, was ultimately was where the Roman Empire ends, actually. The Roman Empire doesn't, you could argue, hasn't never really completely finished, but if it has a date that it finished, it's 1492, so it lasts a huge amount yeah. of time. And it ends with the fall of Constantinople. But if you imagine what we call Byzantine art, very flat, uh, you know, the very little personality in the faces, they're kind of looking straight at you. Yeah. So I did. I did actually have a look in the week and thought. Oh, okay. Yeah, just a real quick one. I was wondering if you were going to tell me about it, which was good, because then because that's what they were saying about about him saying how he had, which is why what made him so popular, what made him keep getting the commissions, was because it was such a fresh painting at the time because he actually added perspective sort of per, like you say personality on the faces and things like that compared to those so so you asked whether this is early renaissance yeah i actually don't know whether this would be considered early renaissance or whether it's the precursor to re- the early renaissance okay. i'm not quite sure when no you would consider the renaissance to start in some ways the renaissance the rebirth mm. my understanding of it it's when in rome they start digging up ancient roman statues oh, okay. and, and paintings you know well and so they think it's something different they can let us know can't they definitely let us know so but clearly this is now on the way to you know it's much more realistic than than that um, than, than Byzantine art um, and also you're starting to get the personality of the artist yeah which you don't have earlier really they're certainly never signed has he ever um, is he painted himself in <laughs> any of the paintings in does, that chapel because <laughs> I can't see it that he had so I was actually surprised because <laughs> the last few podcasts we've done mm. they love putting themselves in well, that would be interesting for someone to say. Yes, whether it's in memory, any of the others. Mm. From memory, I think he does somewhere, but I actually, oh, I'm not sure, okay. I can't remember. Okay. Oh, it'd be lovely if someone could let us know then. Because um, I was wondering if you knew, if it was somewhere dotted in the back there or something. A, I mean, it's a very, it's a small little chapel. Mm. I mean, you'd almost not notice it if you went to Padua. It's no. nothing. It's nothing grand. Um it's also known as the Scriveni Chapel because it was owned by the Scriveni family. And I think the story there is that they didn't have a great reputation because they were money lenders. So what do you do? You know, you, you know, it's like the oligarchs that, you know, mm. of today. 
Yeah. You know, you've got a terrible reputation, so you give a million pounds to the British Museum or mm-hmm. you buy a football club and you, <laughs> you know, you, you, you cover up your immorality. Yes. In my opinion, by making large gestures. This is slightly different, I suppose. In the sense that it's both a gesture to the general public, we're going to rebuild this chapel or we're going to paint this chapel with the greatest living artist that was known, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's also a way of, you know, trying to make peace with with your God. Oh, yeah. By saying that, uh, yes, you know, I've, I've, I've been guilty of usury and lending money and exploiting people and... But I am also glorifying you and, you know... Yeah. Um in these paintings. Uh, in some ways it works because it's still known as a Scriveni chapel. Yeah. I mean, you know. So then he may have, yeah, restored restored his reputation. For sure. Well, I guess most people would, probably wouldn't have known his reputation and would just know him as the commissioning of this, of this work. So maybe not restored, but maybe obscured <laughs> is, a, is a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think... Again, when you just stop to look um, up close, and it is hard in the chapel because, you know, you've got pews in the way and, yeah. and you know, some of them are higher up than others. And it is it is very striking just how detailed, you know, some of the edging of the cloaks, the Roman soldier with his, you know, um, his... Um, Golden, what would you call it? Really, brocade, maybe, yeah. or um, and just, just you know, there is a fluidity. It's it's slightly blocked. It's not perfect, but there's a fluidity between the characters. You feel that there's something going on. There's like energy around this kind of calm moment. Yeah, there's a definitely jostling, wrestling, I mean, and, and I love those faces. Yeah. Even even though they're different, they are similar. The way they've painted the, the way he's painted the faces on the in the crowd, the, onto the right especially, and they all they all they're active, aren't they? They're all yeah. engaged. They really are. Whereas Jesus is just saying, "Look, I know what you're doing. Yeah, and I'm ready for it." Mm. Um, and of course, as we say, as we said, Judas regrets this moment almost immediately, but you can't you can't take the Judas kiss back. Once, no, once it's that's uh, it. Once it happens, <laughs> no, yeah, is it, it, such a uh, that, that those two facial the mm. facial expressions to me are such powerful facial expressions. Yeah, for such a just so brilliant. And you know, there's a broader broader um, lesson. Is that the right word um, to be to be learned from this? Which is. You know, you might go past a relatively nondescript building and or be or see a sign outside that says inside we have some 13th century frescoes. Cool. And you might think, you know what? There's a cappuccino bar down the road and I know. but actually That might have been the old me, Phil. Sometimes it's worth going in and having a look because Giotto is an example of what we as humans are capable of. No mm. there's no other animal on the planet that can do this. And I've see I've I've seen no evidence there's any other of the billions of planets, no, they have life. Never mind art. Yeah, so we're unique. No, and this has lasted. Yeah. This is what eight hundred years old, seven eight hundred years old. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite staggering. Yeah, no. um, 
Yeah, and I'd love to go. Uh, well, I used to be a person that always looked at the brown signs on the road. So if I had seen something like 13th century chap, I, I think I would have gone, actually. Oh, OK. Yeah, I'm going to give myself a bit of credit here. I think I would have gone in. But now, since all these podcasts we've done, I wouldn't just rush about and get out for the cappuccino. <laughs> in, in, in your notes, did you... I, I forget what else... I mean, we went, one of the first reason that we went to film there was for our series, Great Artists. So I know that we looked at other others, other works of his. Did you come across in your notes? Have you got anything about oh, other works? Uh, the, the his final chapel, uh, final. Oh, there's a his final. Um, oh no, I can't find it. I've got okay. hundreds of notes here. But didn't he do? And what else is in your notes that we haven't? haven't... No, <laughs> I've got so many, Phil. But we had, um, there was a chapel right at the end. Oh, the, isn't this one? Oh, I do remember. Sorry. It's okay. It's where he got buried. It was the bell, it was about uh, the bell tower oh. in uh, Florence. He, get, he gets buried there. Oh. oh. Yes. Actually, isn't he engaged? Isn't he involved in the uh, first attempts to build, working on the cathedral? Yes. That's it. Uh, yeah, yes. That's right. And he restore. he helps to restore it, but he doesn't actually um, survive. He dies before it gets restored and he ends up getting buried there. Here we are. Hey. The bell tower in in uh, in, is the, in Florence. Oh, look, because I'm reading your notes now. He's very wealthy. <laughs> yes. All his life paints frescoes. If he had money, he had a Giotto. <laughs> he had eight children. <laughs> eight, eight children, yeah, okay. Yeah, eight children, yeah. <laughs> and then in 1334, he's working on the cathedral bell tower, age 70, still enthusiastic. But did not live to see it finished. Well, it's not really finished for a long time. Right. But too old to climb the scaffold, hands too old to sculpt. So he ends up just getting buried there. 8th of January, 1337. Mm. So, uh, yeah, almost 800 years ago, he Mm. dies. Yeah. And buried in the cathedral. Yes, buried in the cathedral. He was that loved. He was absolutely adored. That's a place. Florence Cathedral. Well, That that is staggering. Mm. I think I went in there very briefly with two little tiny children. Yeah. So my, my two were tiny. So I, I have to go back. Yeah. Because you know what it's like when you've got two tiny children. There's a, there's a cycling tour of Italy coming on, surely. <laughs> We've got to do it then, haven't we? Well, we, we, we know. Can I have an electric, electric bike, please, Phil? You did mention you just got a pair of cycling shorts. I, so. I didn't tell you I got a bike to go with it, though, did I? <laughs> Oh, there's 20 bikes in your house, I'm sure. There's hundreds of bikes in my house. I'm not all riding them, though, but definitely I'll go on an electric bike of yeah. Tour of Italy, because especially if I'm going to be trying to keep up with you and all the cameras and everything else. <laughs> I've got an electric one, please. Well, so this is uh, Giotto's Kiss of Judas, and um, oh. definitely recommend um, having a look at going online and looking at images of the entire chapel or indeed getting hold of a copy or watching, downloading, streaming East um, Great Artists episode on Giotto. Um, and your films out. And Eastern Art. Yeah. So, yeah, Eastern Art, which um, we're hoping will be a perennial, perennial Easter film. Okay. Uh, it does as well as the Nutcracker every Christmas. This is our alternative. Oh, God, you're going to be like... Eastern Art. Like Slade. Noddy Holder. <laughs> I wish. I wish. How much does he, anyway, yeah. I can't talk, I can't in this context no. talk about money. Oh, God, no. It appeared to be greedy. No, no, no. You just hand it back. Cause I, <laughs> Quick. Because these pictures tell me what will happen to me. 
watch out for the yellow cloak. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Painting of the Week podcast. For more information, please visit our website at seventh-art.com or contact us by emailing info at seventh-art.com. See you next time.